Say this with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. Amen. I'm going to begin reading in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. be reading from the Amplified New Testament and our sound people will have those scriptures for you in display so you can follow along. When Jesus, verse 1, came down from the mountain, great throngs followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and prostrating himself, worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you're able to cleanse me by curing me. And he reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed, be cured. And instantly his leprosy was cured and cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell nothing about this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded for a testimony to your healing and as evidence to the people. As Jesus went to Capernaum, a centurion came up to him, begging him and saying, Lord, my servant boy is lying at at the house, paralyzed and distressed with intense pains. And Jesus said to him, I will come and restore him. But the centurion replied to him, Lord, I am not worthy or fit to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant boy will be cured. For I also am a man subject to authority, with soldiers subject to me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard him, he marveled and said to those who followed him, I tell you truly, I have not found so much faith as this with anyone, even in Israel. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and will sit at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons and the heirs of the kingdom will be driven out into darkness outside, where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Then to the centurion he said, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant boy was restored to health at that very moment. And when Jesus went into Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying ill with fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and began waiting on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were under the power of demons. And he drove out the spirits with a word and restored to health all who were sick. And thus he fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, he himself, in order to carry away our weakness and infirmities. He bore away our diseases. Now when Jesus... Now Jesus, when he saw the great throngs around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Master, I will accompany you wherever you go. And Jesus replied to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have lodging places, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me, be, let me first go and bury or care for um, till death my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead in sin to bury their own dead. And after he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly, behold, there arose a violent storm on the sea. So the boat was being covered up by the waves, but he was sleeping. And they went and awakened him, saying, Lord, 
Rescue and preserve us. We're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you timid and afraid, O you of little faith? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great and wonderful calm. And the men were stunned and bewildered. Wonder. Bewildered, excuse me. And the men were stunned with bewildered wonder, and they marveled, saying, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he arrived at the other side, in the country of the Gadarenes, two men, under the control of demons, went to meet him, coming out of their tombs, so fierce and savage that no one was able to pass that way. And behold, they shrieked and they screamed, What have you to do with us, Jesus, Son of God? Have you come to torment us before the appointed time? Now at some distance from there, a drove of many hogs was grazing. And the demons begged him, If you drive us out, send us into the drove of hogs. And he said to them, Be gone. So they came out and they went into the hogs. And behold, the whole drove rushed down the steep bank into the sea and they died in the water. The herdsmen fled and went into town and reported everything, including what had happened to the men under the power of demons. And behold, the whole town went out to meet Jesus as soon as they saw him. They begged him to depart from their locality. And that's just one chapter. Isn't our God great? I love how this chapter begins. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great throngs followed him. What had he been doing on the mountain? Well, we know it as his teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And to understand verse 1, we need to read the previous two verses in chapter 7, which say, when Jesus had finished these sayings, meaning the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished and overwhelmed with bewildered wonder at his teaching. For he was teaching as one who had and was authority and not as did the scribes. Then it says, when Jesus came down from the mountain, great throngs followed him. Why do you follow Jesus? Do we follow him for the miracles that he does? Do we follow him for the bread he provides? Do we follow it because follow him because others in the crowd do? It wasn't difficult for Jesus to get crowds. But this day it was for a different reason. The scripture says that crowds were following him after one of his greatest sermons. They were hungry for what Jesus said, not just for what he did. Now, these people were used to lots of sermons. They got sermons all the time at temple from the scribes, the religious leaders and teachers. Now, we actually have today in archives numerous copies of the teachings that the scribes back then gave. 
And you know what? They're dry. They're boring. They don't target any particular real spiritual need. In fact, they're like what I imagine to be a lot of church services and a lot of pulpits today where specifically the scribes would just speak about a little bit of everything, society and politics and education, and they'd mix in some scriptures, never really going anywhere or making any real life-changing points. And they're terribly boring. Oh, the people of Jesus' day were used to that. And that's why they were bewildered. That's why they were astonished. This is incredible. Here's a man who's giving us life-giving, transformational spirit words. I can feel the change in my heart. My mind is going. My heart is beating faster after listening to him. And you know what? He's not like the scribes. He teaches us as one who has authority. In fact, he not only has it, he is it. Isn't that good? Why do you follow Jesus? Luke chapter 11 verses 27 and 29 say this. And as he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless you, pastor. I just love your clothes. Your shoes are shiny. Oh, man, I love the way you wear your hair. Oh, pastor. And the things you come up with in your sermons, you make us all laugh. And Jesus replied, but even more blessed are those who hear the word and put it into practice. And as the crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said, this evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. Why do you follow Jesus? We're continuing, by the way, in our series entitled Naturally Supernatural. And I want to talk to you today about going deeper. Going deeper. You know I love signs and wonders. You know I operate in signs and wonders. And you know our church is experiencing a new flood tide of signs and wonders. In fact, thanks to the Gatonis, they've introduced us to a course that actually trains us and equips us in how to not only believe for, but be activated in and act upon the word of God and do signs and wonders. I'm so thankful. It's important for us to couple with the signs and the wonders and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit what Jesus said was absolutely essential to going deeper. Because even in his day, People followed lots of different teachers for their miracles, their signs, and their wonders. I don't know if you know this or not, but there were teachers and there were spiritual leaders back in the time of Jesus that were doing miracles. It wasn't just Jesus. So what made his miracles stand out? Well, of course, Jesus' miracles were a cut above, to be sure. 
opening blinded eyes and lengthening legs and all of the thing, raising the dead and he was doing it all day. It was just natural. He was being naturally supernatural. But when it really came down to it, when he sensed that the attitude of the crowd was that they were just following because they wanted to see something, not because they were genuinely interested in life transformation, he would always challenge them. John's Gospel, chapter 6. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and they went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get over here? <laughs> and Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. But don't be concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the work that God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Now that word believe is not that casual mental assent that God is good and God is to be believed. The word actually means that I'm going to believe into. I'm going to wrap my arms around God's legs. I'm going to hold on and I'm going to allow his transformational love and his transformational power to flow into me and change the way I think and change the way I act and change the way I live. I'm going to believe into him. The Amplified Bible brings this out. I so appreciate our pastor of our course that's hosting our course on kingdom ministry talking about this very issue of believing and how that today it's quite simple in most churches for people to come forward in response to an altar call shake the pastor's hand and you know get a little tap on the bottom and be told you're saved <laughs> you're redeemed you're going to heaven when what that really ought to look like is, yes, do all of those things, believe in your heart and say with your mouth, but that there needs to be an embrace of the Holy Spirit. There needs to be an embrace of his power coming and filling our hearts and changing us into another being. There needs to be an embrace that for the rest of my life, I'm going to take the word of God, I'm going to believe it, I'm going to study it, I'm going to become acquainted with it, and I'm going to allow Jesus to change me and completely renovate the way I think and the way I live through the words that are in this book. Jesus said this, they are spirit and they are life. Have we done that? Or would we be guilty of the same just following him for the bread or for the sign or the wonder? Verse 30 of that same passage they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed in the wilderness. The scriptures say that Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. See, that's, that's the problem. We, we, we get our focus 
on the manifestation or on the miracle or on what God can do for us. And we miss the point. The reasons he does all of that for us is because of his nature. He loves you. He cares for me. And he wants my life to be full of his love and his blessing. He is my manna. He doesn't just give me manna. He is my financier. He doesn't simply supply me with finances. He is my healer. He's not only the one who heals my body. He is healing. He is life. He is mercy. He is joy. So the Bible tells us, never get your eyes on the manifestation. Keep them on who he is. Because when circumstances challenge your manifestation, your confident faith and expectation in his unchanging word will carry you through the storm. Wow. Matthew chapter 8. How incredible is that chapter? Let's real quick re-rehearse it. The curing of the leper in the first two verses. The Amplified says, And behold, a, a leper came to him, and prostrating himself, worshiping him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can, uh, you can cleanse me by curing me. And he reached out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing. Weiss' translation of this says, In the event that you might be having a heartfelt desire, you are able to cleanse me. And, and the New Testament says, And Jesus, having a heartfelt desire, reached out. And literally in the Greek, it can say this. It can mean this. He grabbed the man. Now consider this. He was a leper. You never touched lepers. In fact, lepers had to keep a five to six foot circle around them whenever they were in public. They had to be fully covered, including a a garment like a hoodie. They weren't allowed to use the same public facilities. In Christ's day, no leper could live within a walled town, though he might live in an open village. Whenever he did go out, not only was that outer garb required, which spoke of a sign of deep grief, but also he had to, whenever there was a passerby, Somebody who was passing by, he had to shout, unclean, 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 so that the passerby would know to keep at appropriate distance. But the worst thing of all, in fact, in the Hebrew, this word leper means smiting. It means a stroke. Because back then, they actually believed that the, the disease of leprosy was a direct providential infliction and a testimony of God's judgment on that person's life. Do you realize how life transformational it was for Jesus to embrace a leper? Do you realize what was communicated, what sort of message was actually taught when he grabbed society's worst disease, the individuals that they kept at a distance that couldn't ever come into a walled city. They lived in their own townships and villages. 
They were disgusting. They were diseased. They were... And Jesus, Lord, if you have a heart's desire to heal me, you could. How many of you know God can? How many of you know that it's more easily... It's more easy to believe in God's miraculous power than in his miraculous love. Of course God can. But what this leper was saying is, do you love me enough? He acknowledged God's ability, but he wasn't sure whether it was his heart. And the New Testament says, and Jesus, being full of desire, actually grabbed him. And cured him. I submit to to you today. That God is grabbing each one of you. No matter what your state. No matter how deep in sin and failure you might feel. He's grabbing you right now. He's not holding you up to a behavior list. He's not saying you have to change before you can believe or experience either one. He's saying, I love you the way you are in your disease, in your frustration, in your fear, and in your sad state. I take you in my arms and I heal you. I cure you. Hallelujah. The centurion. He had a little servant boy at home sick. Jesus said, I'll come heal him. The centurion said, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. And the centurion said, oh no, you don't need to come, Jesus. Just stand right here and speak the word only. Just speak it. And my servant will be healed. The Bible says that Jesus in that moment turned to the rest of the crowd that was around and said, you know what? In all my ministry, in meeting all of the thousands of people I've met, in hearing their heart and working with people and their faith and their knowledge of scripture, in all of that, I have not found a single person that has faith like this centurion. He gets it. What was he talking about? This centurion based on his own experience with the power of the word and the authority of a believer said, look, Jesus, I know your words have life. I know your words are filled with power. I know you not only have God's authority, you are God's authority. Just stand here and speak the word and my servant's going to be healed. That's why you never really need to pray very long over things. Just speak the word to it. Sometimes I feel like God is saying, come on, get, get, get on with it. You, you've been praying now for how long? And, and did you notice that whenever Jesus dealt with demons, he didn't stand there and work with them and ask them their name and get buckets for them to throw up in. And, and I mean all of this stuff that we do today with demons. He just said, in fact, we read it in our text. He said to that whole drove of demons, he said, be gone. What power is in him and therefore in his word? 
I love the manifestations. I love seeing the miracles. But you know what? I love the miracle worker even more. I love experiencing his joy. I love being in his presence. But I love him just for who he is even more. If I never saw another miracle, if I never felt another feeling, ask yourself, would you still love him? Would you still serve him? And in the midst of adverse circumstances that look overwhelming, like, like God's given up on you, would you still stand and say, God, I believe your word no matter what my circumstances or my feelings are saying. And so I speak it into these circumstances. And God, I know you will move on my behalf. That's the testimony of the centurion in Matthew 8. And then Peter's mother-in-law, who had a fever. She was bedfast, one translation says. Bedfast and unable to get up. And Jesus just walked over. And the Bible doesn't say he prayed. It doesn't say he bound. It doesn't say he got loud. It doesn't say he, he, he lurched or he, you know. It just says he touched her. And the fever left. You know what that tells me? That even if I'm in circumstances that are so overwhelming that I'm bedfast and can't act on all of the other faith principles that I've learned, God in his goodness will still put his hand on me and he'll just drive the fever out. Believe in your heart. Say it with your mouth. But even when you're too overwhelmed to say it, better maybe just to shut up. (laughs) Don't speak all that doubt. Don't agree with your circumstances. Just shut up and say, Father, Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. (laughs) Sometimes best just to lay on the floor in his presence and soak and let daddy take care of that fever. Anything contrary to God's plan and purpose is subject to his touch. His presence brings life to anything that's out of order in my life. And then, of course, we have the several examples in Matthew chapter 8 where demonic presence responds to Christ's word. His power and his authority is so much greater. He doesn't get worked up when he's expelling demons. He just tells them to leave and then in verse 17 of course it tells us that all of this is the children's bread that it's part of the atonement Christ died he took my sickness he bore my disease so that I wouldn't have to so not only forgiveness of sins but total life nothing broken nothing missing shalom God wants you to live a good and an abundant life here on earth. So, back to the foundation. Who are you following? What are you following? Why are you following Jesus? Matthew chapter 7, please put it on the screen. Verse 21. If you want to follow in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, you're there. Verse 21. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and we've done many mighty works in your name? And then I will say to them openly and publicly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who act wickedly, disregarding my commands. So everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them, obeying them, will be like the sensible, prudent, practical, and wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and yet it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a stupid, foolish man. I love the Bible, don't you? It's just so plain. It's just so to the point. And Jesus didn't mince words. How many of you know we've all been stupid at times? Amen. Can we just, you don't need to lift your hand, but I think I will. Uh, I've been desperately stupid sometimes. And where does that come from? Not following the word of God. Believing in all the rest, but not being founded on the word. So everyone who hears these words of mine, you, you, you might hear them. There's lots of great sermons, lots of great tapes and CDs, plenty of magazines and books you can read. But if you do not do those words, if you do not act on those words, you'll be like a stupid man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Notice, being a committed Christian who loves the word of God and lives by it won't stop the storms. Storms, adversity, trial come to both the believer and the unbeliever. The person who hates God and wants nothing to do with the church or the Bible and the person who loves God and is centered on the word. You both are going to experience the storm. But one person will stand. One person will go through the storm. And he's called prudent and practical and wise, thinking I know what those words mean. I always stop and look them up because I find out that I really don't understand the depth. Listen to this. The word prudent, marked by wisdom, shrewd in management of practical affairs, sound in judgment, good judgment in conduct, especially in speech. Practical means manifested in practice or action, not theoretical, engaged in a course of action, disposed to action as opposed to speculation. Isn't that good? If you love God's word and you say, as far as it is within my power, I am going to not only read God's word and study it and go to church and be involved, but I'm going to live by this. I'm going to let God's word judge every thought I have and determine every action and decision I make. When you do that, you're called practical and prudent. What's my point? Do you know you can get a word while changing a diaper? That's what I'm talking about. See, some of us, if, if your attitude about this is wrong, you've always got to be in the service 
where the words are being given. You've always got to be in the service where the flow of the Holy Spirit is. And so then our nursery workers have a difficult time getting nursery help. Dear one, don't you realize God is God? He can give you a word changing a diaper. How many of you know you can receive a healing while cleaning a toilet? Amen. I've got a, I've got a new title for that office here in this church. Colonel of the Urinal. I'll get you a little name badge made up like the Gatonis have, all right? Colonel of the Urinal. I mean, if that flips your switch, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Whatever you need, dear one, just don't chase the sign. Don't chase the miracle. Chase the word. And I mean chase the word. Chase the word, Jesus. Chase his words that come forth from his mouth. And when you do and dedicate your life to it, you'll find that you are both supernatural, but you are naturally supernatural. You are every bit into manifestations and being supernatural, but you are right at the doorstep when somebody says, hey, we, we need some nursery help this month. Oh, you bet. You bet. I'd be happy to go in there. Man, while I'm playing with those kids and everybody out in the adult service is receiving and being blessed by the manifestation, I fully expect God to manifest here while I'm taking care of these children. Thank you, Father, for a word. Absolutely nothing more beautiful than seeing toddlers pray. What's my point? You can receive a miracle for your own life while you're loving on someone else and assisting them with their need. And so operating in supernatural manifestations, it's not a sign of stability or health or character or even mature selfless love for Christ and for others. Christ himself puts being a student of the word at the foundation of one's walk with God. Jesus himself says that the evidence of maturing and having a healthy character is surviving the storms of life while keeping your testimony. Here's the deal. Storms are going to come. And what's going to carry you through the storm is not going to be a manifestation or a word or a supernatural sign or wonder. What's going to carry you through the storm is Jesus Christ and his word. Let me reflect real quick as we close. I want to reflect real quick on that boating incident. You remember they, Jesus said, get in the boat, we're going to go to the other side. They got in the boat and no sooner did they get out on the waters than this storm arose. One translation says that the waves were so high you could not see the boat. They were completely engulfing it. it was, the storm surge was so bad and it was rocking that boat. Now the disciples feared for their life. And where was Jesus according to the scripture? Asleep. So what's the difference between Jesus who you must admit if anybody knew how to be supernatural and walk in the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, it was Jesus. Now, where was Jesus during that storm? Asleep. What were his disciples doing? I mean, these were the same disciples that Jesus gave power over demons to. They went out and did miracles and opened blinded eyes. They saw great wonders. They were doing it. And what were they doing? freaking out, totally freaking out beside themselves. We're going to perish. 
Please, Jesus, save us. So what's the difference? (laughs) Jesus is authority. Jesus is my manifestation. Jesus is my miracle. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is. And all I need to do is get into him. You know, if they had been in him like we're supposed to be in him, with all our thoughts, all our passions, all our desires, all our actions, they wouldn't have needed to wake him up to calm the storm because Jesus said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. That was his word. They didn't trust that word. And so they were over here in fear. Folks, I'm telling you, Life is about taking the word of God and trusting it and getting it into your heart and living by it. Whether you have a manifestation or not, be naturally supernatural because he is everything I need. And he will take you through the storm.